So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at what it looks like to suffer as a Christian. As a pastor here at City Church, I want every one of you to be equipped for the hardship and suffering that you're going to experience in this life. It is inevitable that you and I are going to face adversity, suffering, difficulty in this fallen, broken world that we live in. And I don't want any of us to be ignorant or naive about the reality of this broken world that we live in. And the Bible is very realistic about the brokenness of this world that we live in. It, it, it clearly communicates to us that there's going to be things that happen that are unjust and wrong. Even when we're right in the middle of God's will, we're doing God's will, we're loving God, we're doing what's right and honoring Him. There's still going to be suffering and hardship and trials. The, the wisdom literature teaches us that. That, that adversity comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. So it's not always because we did something wrong that we're going through difficulties in this life. It just happens because we live in a fallen, broken world. But for you and I who are Christ followers, the suffering and hardships that we go through are not meaningless or vain. They will not be wasted. God will use every bit of it for our good and for his glory. And so I want you to be prepared for the day of adversity when it comes your way. I want you to not be uninformed about the reality that there will be hardship. I want you to be prepared so that you can suffer well. Peter was a good pastor and he was preparing the saints for the suffering that they had been through or that they would go through as Christ's followers. And listen to what he says. This is a theme throughout the book of First Peter is the idea that Christians are going to suffer. Listen what he says in verse 12. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going in this text this morning, is that suffering is a normal aspect of the Christian life that God walks with his people through. 
Suffering is a normal aspect of the Christian life that God walks with his people through, and he calls his people to cultivate joy, trust, and good conduct through it. Verse 1, or verse uh, 12, he starts off addressing the Christians as beloved. He already did this in chapter 2, verse 11. He addressed them as beloved. In his second epistle, he addresses the Christians five times as beloved. And he's reminding them when he says this, you're loved. You're loved. Beloved. Look to the person next to you and say, you be loved. You be loved. Okay. Peter is reminding the saints that they are loved. That regardless of the fiery trial that they are going through, they're loved by God. It's not because God's angry at them or, or is, is hates them or wants to destroy them. God loves them. God loves you. And, and we need as saints in, in the moments of fiery testing, in the, in the furnace, in the pain, in the brokenness, we need to be reminded that we are loved by God and nothing has changed that no matter how bitter our circumstances are. So he says, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. So the first thing Peter tells the Christians to do is to expect, expect to experience suffering. In the negative, he says, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off balance. Don't be surprised as this is, as, as, as if this is some sort of strange, abnormal experience for Christ followers. It's not strange to experience opposition, ridicule, and fiery trials and testings. It's not strange at all. You see, Peter describes being persecuted and reviled and going through difficult times as a test. Now, he's already said this in chapter 1, and life is filled with tests. All of life that you and I go through is one big test, okay? And then throughout our entire life, there are series of various types of tests that we go through. And often we fail those tests, and God lets us retake them, Uh <clears throat> And when God brings us through a test, it's not to see us fail. God does not want us to fail. He's a good teacher who is doing something good in the lives of his children and in his students. He wants to develop us. He wants to teach us through the testing. Now, at the same time, while we're going through testing, there is a real enemy that Peter will mention in chapter 5 who wants to destroy us and devour us. And tempt us to sin. He wants to see our demise when we go through the test. He wants us to get an F. He wants us to turn our backs on God. He wants our faith to fail. But as Jesus told Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you return. Strengthen the brethren. So there's these tests that God uses in our lives. He says, don't, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. So he uses fiery trial and test. In 1 Peter 4, 1, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So Peter describes this way of thinking that you're going to suffer as well. Like Jesus did, he describes this as armor. 
Okay, something that will help us when we're being attacked by an enemy who wants to destroy us. So have this mindset that that suffering will come in this life. Okay, and you can pass the test. You can go through whatever life brings your way, whatever God brings you through. He will give you grace to sustain you. He will be with you and none of it will be wasted. I know I talk a lot about this and the Bible talks a lot about this. There is a a, a, a version of Christianity out there that will ignore this and downplay this reality a, a version of Christianity that will emphasize health, wealth and happiness and success. OK, a prosperity gospel out there that 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 is naive and, and, and disconnected with the reality that Christians suffer. And this is a part of following Jesus. So li- listen what Peter says. He says, first of all, expect it. Don't be surprised by it. And then he says, rejoice, but rejoice in as far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, this is easier said than done. I realize this. And sometimes it can, this can actually seem kind of harsh to tell somebody going through some really difficult circumstances, rejoice, rejoice, okay? And there is an aspect of our volition in this where we may not feel like rejoicing, okay? So there, there is a choosing of joy, but there is also this fruit that the Holy Spirit gives us. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that He produces in our life, yet we have to choose it. We have to choose. I'm going to rejoice, and we need to find reasons to rejoice. And thankfully, Peter gives us some reasons. He gives us some reasons to rejoice. Notice what he says uh, in verse 13. He says, you share... In the sufferings of Christ, you're you're partakers when you go through suffering for the name of Jesus, you share in the sufferings of Christ. you're, You're participating in something really special. Okay, and and the implication is, is that God is with you in this. Jesus is with you. You're not going through this alone. There is this deep, intimate fellowship that you and I get to experience when we suffer because we're following Christ. Paul in Philippians 3.10 described it as the fellowship of his sufferings. He said, I want to know him. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. One theologian pastor said that this is one of the most intimate places of fellowship with Jesus where we get to partake in the in experience his sufferings. And it's not that we add anything to what his sufferings has accomplished. He has purchased our salvation and redemption through his sufferings. It's finished. His The work is done. Okay, we don't add anything to it when we suffer as Christians, but we we get to we get the the joy the and it is a joy and it will be a joy when we see him face to face. We we get to experience what it's like to go through difficulty. Have you ever been in a conversation amongst people who are talking about this great movie that they loved but you hadn't seen it and they're just going on about how awesome this was and this was and they're just talking about the movie? 
but you don't even know what they're talking about because you didn't see the movie, right? And so they have this fellowship and this participation, this, this, this connection, this common experience that they're talking about together, uh, because they watched the movie together, but you didn't. You weren't in it. So you're, you're, you, you feel like an outsider. Or maybe it was going and seeing the Grand Canyon, or going and riding a roller coaster, or going and seeing a concert, or some kind of pleasant, great experience in this life. And others have had it, and they talk about it, and you're in that conversation, and you just feel like an outsider. Okay, there's a fellowship that comes around that common experience. And when you and I, as followers of Christ, when we get insulted because we love Jesus and we're representing Jesus and we're trying to, to tell people about Jesus and reach people with the gospel, we get to share in Christ's sufferings. There's been several times where I have been insulted because I was preaching the gospel Okay, now I just want to say it doesn't feel good in the moment. I'm not like, oh, that just felt so good. They're just accusing me of being a hypocrite, a liar, a bigot, or whatever. I mean, all these names that whatever they can get to just make me feel bad and, and make me feel ashamed because of the message that I proclaim and the one that I represent. But afterwards, I think there's this sense of joy and satisfaction knowing Knowing that I, was, I wasn't being a jerk for Jesus, I was being kind and I was, I was sharing the gospel. I was loving on people through sharing the gospel. And, and there's this sense of satisfaction that comes from knowing you were doing what's right. This is how they treated Jesus. This is how they treated the messengers of God throughout history. They were persecuted. They were ridiculed. They were mocked and beaten. Peter also says, rejoice and be glad uh, he says, rejoice because you share in the sufferings of Christ, Christ's sufferings, but, but also that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's when he comes back. When Jesus comes back and you see, and everyone sees, and they look upon him whom they pierced, the one whom they pierced, we're going to see him in his glory and we're going to have exceedingly great joy. When we've gone through, when we've walked through trials and we've, and, and in those trials of suffering as a Christian, we've rejoiced. We've praised God in it. We've delighted in God. When we suffer as Christians and still have joy in the midst of our suffering, it is a witness to the outside world that God is enough to satisfy the human heart. That God is good. And that our hope, it points to the hope that, that we have as Christians that goes beyond this life. We're looking forward to something more than what this life has to offer. You see, when our joy is based heavenly, we rejoice because our names are written in heaven. And we have a home there. And, and we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. When we rejoice, when our joy is based on heaven and not on the things of this earth, we won't lose our joy when we're stripped of our earthly comforts, our possessions, our health, our reputation, our jobs, our homes, even our family. We can still have joy in the midst of the suffering. And this seems perplexing to the, to the outside world. It's perplexing. How can you have joy when you've gone through all this? How can you not be bitter and, and bless and love those who have hurt you? 
when you've gone through all this, that is a testimony of the work of Jesus in someone's life. And so Peter says that you're blessed when you go through these things. When you're insulted for the name of Jesus, you're blessed. And this is what happens. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You experience God's presence upon you and with you in a really special way. In Acts chapter 7, there was a early church leader, Stephen, who was a, a deacon or a, a leader in the church, and he was getting stoned. They, they, he preached Jesus. He didn't back down from preaching Jesus to a hostile group of Jewish leaders, and they stoned him. And as they stoned him, the scripture says that his face shone like an angel. He was shining bright. The spirit of glory and of God was resting upon him. And you know what he said? You know what he prayed? God, Father, forgive him. Forgive him for, uh, don't hold this sin against him. He says, into your hand, I commit your, my spirit. Who does that sound like? Sounds like our Lord Jesus and what he said when he was suffering, doesn't it? And so there's a special grace. So, so let, just know this. Expect that suffering will come. Rejoice when you experience it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be, like, don't be overly like morbid and meditate like, oh, it's going to be so bad where, to where you get in fear and you're like, what if that happens to me? I don't know if I can do that. Know that there will be a special grace for you. If you're called to go carry your cross and literally die upon a cross or be burned or whatever happens to you. And all throughout Christian history, we see things like this happening to Christians and Christians being faithful to go through all this. Here, here's some things that Peter wants his hearers, the, the church to know. He wants them to know that they're loved, that what they're going through are tests. They're, you're being tested. Okay. It's not an accident that you're going through this. God didn't like just like make a mistake and be like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. He's still on the throne. Okay. He, he's allowing this test and he's going to use this test. You, par you participate in Christ's sufferings. You have a glorious future. Jesus is glory. You're going to see Jesus come back there. He, Peter says in chapter one, set your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's this glory that's going to be revealed. And when Jesus comes back and you see the king of glory in all his glory, you're going to have great joy. And you have this inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled. You are blessed. This is the blessed life. This is the blessed life. The prosperity gospel would try to dupe us into believing that the blessed life is having riches and fame and good health. That that's the blessed life. You have lots of stuff, no problems, it's all good, it's all smooth, and you're successful. Okay, well, try to put that on the Apostle Paul. Did the Apostle Paul live the blessed life? Because that wasn't his life. Put that on Jesus. Did Jesus live the blessed life? And, and many other Christians throughout history. And so don't buy into the lie that the blessed Christian life is merely having stuff, having health, and having success and everybody like you. That's not the life of Christ and that's not the life that... 
Christ calls us to. You can glorify God through this. You're being purified through the suffering that you experience. You can trust that God will keep you and you can do good through this. Now notice in verse, verses um, 16, he says, do not be ashamed. He says, do not be ashamed. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify that name. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 26. He said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of his holy angels. The apostle Paul wrote his spiritual son, Timothy, and he said, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul said in Romans uh, Romans 1 16 for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek Peter knew that there is a tendency for Christians to feel surprise when they're suffering there's a tendency to feel shame when they're suffering, and there's a tendency to feel self-pity when you're suffering. So he says, don't be ashamed. He says, don't be surprised. He says, rejoice. Don't be stuck in self-pity like, oh, what, why is this happening to me? Woe is me. He says, rejoice. Joy is the opposite of self-pity. Don't have a pity party. Have a praise party. Praise Jesus. Rejoice in him for what he's doing in your life. And don't be ashamed. If, if, if you're going through difficult times, if, if you're thrown in jail, if your name is smeared all over Facebook and Twitter and Instagram because you're a witness for Jesus, don't be ashamed. But he says instead, uh, glorify God in that name. Don't be ashamed. Uh, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You see, when we rejoice, when we continue to do good and do what's right, when we continue to trust God and when we, when we expect it and we're not caught off guard by, by our suffering, when we don't give in to bitterness and resentment and self-pity, we glorify God through our suffering. We get this opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ. And when we see Jesus, it's all going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Every bit of our sacrifice, every, every tear for, that has fallen from our eyes, God sees. And he says he's going to wipe away every one of those tears. Glorify him through it. You and I are created for the glory of God. And this is the best thing. This is the most satisfying thing for us to do is to honor God and glorify him with our lives because he is our creator. He's the one who's designed us to display his glory. We are image bearers of his. We reflect his glory and we, we give him glory by living in, in character like him, being gracious and kind, blessing, not reviling in return. And so don't be ashamed don't be surprised. Don't give in the self-pity when you're going through suffering. But rather 
Glorify God. Glorify His name. Don't, don't take the path of least resistance. You know, you can, you can avoid some suffering by not talking about Jesus. Now remember Peter, when Jesus was arrested and was going to the cross, remembered Peter's failure? And Jesus told him this was going to happen. This is the one who's, here, here's one who probably felt a little bit ashamed in that moment. Who's writing, don't be ashamed. When a servant, a slave girl says around the fire, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Weren't you with him? Peter's like, no, no, not me, not me. No, I, I recognize you. I think you were with him. No, 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 not me, man, not me. And he starts cussing. He starts cussing to try to defend himself and deny, and he denies Jesus cowardly. And he writes, don't be ashamed. You don't want to see Jesus in regret, denying him and being ashamed of him. You want to have confidence and joy when you see him. It's worth it. It's worth it. And God, Jesus was gracious to Peter, even though Peter seemed to be ashamed, even though Peter denied Jesus three times like he said he would. Jesus graciously restored Peter. Jesus was not surprised by Peter's sin and failure in any way. Actually, he told him it was going to happen. Peter had a hard time believing it. I don't know. Not me, Lord. I'll die for you. Right? And, and, and eventually he would die for Jesus. But he wouldn't do that in, depending on his own strength and self-confidence. Peter's self-confidence and reliance upon himself was broken through his failure. And he came to know God as the God of all grace. Not only the God who restores him in grace, but the God who sustains him in his grace and holds his life in his grace. He actually calls him that in 1 Peter 5.10. He says, now, may the God of all grace strengthen, perfect, and establish you after you've suffered a while. Okay? Peter got, a, got an insight to, to who God was. The God of all grace. Amen. So let's look at this verse here, verse 17 and 18, which may seem a little perplexing to some of us. Verse 17, he says, for, for it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter is describing what's happening here as, 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 as God's judgment in a sense. And so I think it's important to note, as the commentators point out, and I, I'll do the same, is that this judgment for the household of God, the people of God, is not punitive. It's purifying. It's not condemning. It's, it's, it's cleansing and changing and conforming us into the image of Jesus, into Christ-likeness. It's not destructive fire. It's developing character within us. And so God brings us through the fire. And, and by the way, we, we don't escape. We're all going to be evaluated before God. We're going to give an account. So this, this is important to remember, especially if, if we think we can get away with some ungodly living as Christians. Like, now I'm forgiven, I'm under grace, I can go live this life. God will discipline you as a loving father. He gives spankings. 
Okay, he disciplines those he loves. And sometimes we need a little bit of pain applied to our lives because we don't listen until we feel a little bit of pain. We're like, oh, C.S. Lewis calls pain God's microphone, right? He whispers to us in the pleasures, but the, when pain is applied in our lives, it's a microphone. It gets our attention, you know, for the, for the, the person who's, the doctors told them over and over that they got to change their diet and they got to start exercising. And then all of a sudden some physical thing happens and they're like, okay, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to start exercising now because this hurts, Right. There's a little bit of pain that's applied, and it gets our attention. I, we see this with our children. You take something away that they really like, you'll get their attention. Okay, no more, no more leap pad or iPad right now. Oh, that that hurts, right? Or spankings. You know, spankings work really well. Um, and there's various ways to to discipline our children in a way that honors the Lord and helps them. Peter seems to allude to Malachi 3, 2 and 3. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fueler's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in the righteousness to the Lord. Amen. So <clears throat> this judgment for the Christian is not punitive. It's not hell. It's not condemnation. It's not because God's mad at us. God is disciplining us and working through. He will use even the ungodly things that, that sinners do, that non-Christians do to Christians to develop us. James tells us this when we go through trials. When we go through trials in our lives. James 1 tells us count it all joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. That's right. James tells us this. And so there are various types of trials that Christians go through. Now sometimes it's because of our own sin that we are experiencing suffering and trials. Not always but sometimes. Uh, Peter says, you know, let none of you suffer as uh, as a meddler, as a thief, as a murderer. All right. Now we can even if you're a Christian and you steal something, you're going to get in trouble. You still gonna, there's still consequences or or you're driving 100 miles per hour in a 60 mile uh, zone and, and you're going to get a ticket. All right. Don't 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 think that you're you're above the law and you don't have to follow the rules. You break the law. There's there's a fine to pay. And Peter says, don't. Let, don't let that be the reason why you're suffering, okay, as a Christian. Rather, let it be because you're following Jesus. Um, you know, by the way, this is one of the, the, the main objections that atheists have, that non-Christians have and atheists have to believing God and the God of the Bible. And it goes, the logic goes like this. If there is an all-powerful, all-loving God, why is there suffering in this world? Why? And so there's three things that I would point to for a biblical worldview. And I'm, three things. One is creation. Creation, when God created everything, it was good. Okay? He saw that it was good. There was no suffering. There was no death. There was no cancer. We live in a world where people take things that they shouldn't take. Where people insult others when they shouldn't insult them. When, when people lie, 
and, and, and don't tell the truth. We live in a world where we get diagnosis of cancer. We live in a world where tornadoes come through and destroy houses. And praise God that not, not one life was taken in this last tornado that came through Dallas. That was one of my prayers as me and my family were in the closet. Seven, okay, one, one, it was seven. Thank you. Says, says the 12 year old who went through a tornado with his family a couple years ago, right? So we live in a fallen, broken world where there's hurricanes, where there are all types of, there's wars, there's, there's all types of injustices and, and just terrible atrocities that are going on in our day. And inside, we know this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how our good God designed this world to be. It's fallen. It's broken. And so the Christian worldview is very plausible, if you ask me. Of course, I'm a Christian pastor. But I think it gives us some satisfying answers as to why we see what we see in this world. This is the story of God that he gives us. It gives us a reason why. Because mankind rebelled against his command. It all goes back to disobeying God. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And that's when death and sin and suffering and pain entered into this world. And we don't like it. We don't like the consequences of it. It's bad. It's painful. It's not good. But when we, when we look at suffering, we must filter it through creation as God, the good creator and mankind who rebelled against God, the good creator and his good design. But then also the, look at the reality that God did something about it. He sent his son who never sinned, who didn't deserve to experience the consequences of any type of sin. And he bore our sins on the cross. He suffered and he died. Jesus felt pain and stepped into the painful experience of this human life for you and me. So God did something about it. God sent a rescuer. And that's not it. It doesn't just, it doesn't stop there at the cross. Jesus was resurrected after three days. And, and he says, he's coming back. And when he comes back, the consummation of all things, he's going to judge the living and the dead. And those of us who have believed in him, he will rescue us, wipe every tear from our eye. He will make all things new. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more disease. And we will live with him forever in a world of perfect love, a world of perfect joy and peace. And this is our hope. And this is the, the view, our worldview. This is how we look at the world around us and why it is like it is and what's going to happen. The Bible is very realistic about the brokenness of this world, but it's also very optimistic and certain about our future as Christians. Amen. So we can be very optimistic in the midst of this fallen, broken world because we have a redeemer. We live in this time that theologians call the already not yet. So these are some points, three C's to take the doubting skeptic through as you're trying to wrestle with the hard questions of suffering. A good God, all powerful God, allowing suffering in this world. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve's fault. You and I are each guilty of sinning against God. And so sin brings forth death. Yet the sufferings that we go through aren't always as a result of our personal sin. Sometimes it's because of the sins of others. They do things against us that they shouldn't do. 
And God sees that. And he's going to judge. First Peter 4, they're going to have to give an account to him who's going to judge the living and the dead. Jesus came to alleviate eternal suffering for anyone who will put their trust in him. He alleviates suffering for us who believe. We look forward to that. But those who don't repent and those who don't believe, there is an eternal suffering that they will experience that the Bible calls hell. And God doesn't want anybody to perish and experience that. Christ suffered so that we can be delivered from eternal pain and sorrow and have eternal joy in his presence. So Peter concludes, and it's been said that this is kind of the summary verse that uh, encapsulates all of Peter's letter of, of the heart of the message here of what he tells suffering Christians here. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let those who suffer according to God's will. So and don't think of your suffering outside of God's will as something that has surprised him or that he didn't see or something that he's not working through in your life. It's meaningful. It's not vain. It won't be wasted. God's purifying us. He's developing us. He's working in us. He's getting glory through our lives as we respond appropriately. But we can entrust our souls to him who is our faithful creator, our good creator who designed us, who sustains us, and he knows what we need. And, and a part of doing and trusting our souls to him is, is continuing to do good. Now, Peter already said that this is what Jesus did. Peter, over and over, he points the Christians back to the cross and he points them ahead to the second coming. Set your hope fully upon that. Look back to the cross. Jesus suffered. So you're not alone in that. You share in that suffering. He's coming back. Your suffering is going to end. It's not going to be forever. Sometimes we feel like it is like, God, when is this going to end? When this is going, when is this going to stop? How long, oh Lord? And we, we pray the Psalms. How long, oh Lord? Until you intervene, until you deliver. He will come back. Jesus, uh, Peter says this about Jesus. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. This was Isaiah 53 that we read in communion. When he, was re, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He suffered and did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. God will, will vindicate his people. God will get revenge. God will judge the living and the dead. And God can be trusted with our lives. He has delivered us from the condemnation he has delivered us from the consequences of our sin. So in closing, here's just a couple things that I want to encourage us to do in application. Establish a biblical view of suffering so that you might pass the tests of suffering, the trials of suffering that come your way and effectively help others in their suffering. Second Corinthians tells us that God comforts us in our tribulation so that we can comfort others in their tribulation. And so with, with the same comfort that we receive from God. 
And so if you don't have a biblical view of suffering, a biblical worldview concerning suffering, then you, you're prone to get caught off guard when it happens, when it comes your way, and be like, why does this happen to me? I've been serving God. I've been loving Jesus. I'm doing the will of God. I've been faithful. God, why are you letting this happen to me? So don't, don't establish a, a biblical worldview of God so that you won't be caught off guard and thrown off balance. Read the book of Job. Okay, there's some profound thoughts in the book of Job that that help the suffering believer. Okay, Job was a righteous man who suffered, not because of something wrong that he did, but because God had a bigger purpose. First Peter, of course, Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, the prophets. Jesus said in, in Matthew five that rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you're persecuted for righteousness sake for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you rejoice and be glad because you great is your reward in heaven read the prophets the old testament prophets they went through some hardships for being messengers who represented god and and people didn't like the the, the delivery package they had the the piece of mail that they they brought to to them and they persecuted them for that um, read church history, the book of Acts. Cultivate a life of joy in God through pursuing him in prayer, worship, and reading of scripture. See, we're told to rejoice not only in our suffering, but we're told to rejoice always. First Thessalonians 5 tells us this is the will of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all things. Pray without ceasing. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we cultivate a life of joy, not just in in the difficult times, but in the good times, when things are going well, I'm baffled how we can have so many blessings and comforts and good things happening in our lives and us still be grumblers. I'm, I'm baffled how we can go on an amazing vacation with our family and, and have some great experiences, but still be complaining about the weather and, and small petty things, the restaurant, the weather, this or that, you know, and, and little things. We have so much to be thankful to God for. So cultivate a life of joy and gratitude and then avoid allowing shame or fear to keep you silent about Jesus. Don't let the fear of the pain of suffering quench your witness. You testify, you tell, you glorify God by, by pointing people to him. And then trust that God will be with you and keep you through whatever suffering you may face. Entrust your souls as to a faithful creator. Theologians point out that this is a banking term where you're entrusting something that that's going to be kept safe god will keep your souls and peter already said this in first peter 1 5 that you and i are being kept by the power of god he's keeping us through faith we're being kept by the power of god so entrust him that he got this he has the whole world in his hands and, and, and what you're going through and what you go through in this life is no surprise to him. He sees it. And you know what? He, he's with you. And he, when you hurt, he feels your pain. He can sympathize with your pain. God doesn't delight in the pain that you feel. He doesn't delight in sin or the consequences of sin. Jesus stepped in to show us what God's like. And how he feels about our sin. 
And he bore it. He, he bore the sorrows and the griefs and the weight and the penalty and the consequences of our sin. So that we don't have to carry it any longer. Let's pray. Father, if we, if we could choose the path of our life, it would be pain-free and trouble-free and suffering-free. But for some reason, God, you've called us to walk a path that's difficult. You've called us to go through the fire, the furnace of trials. And we thank you that we don't do that alone. We thank you that you're with us, that you carry us, that your grace is sufficient to sustain us. That your your presence, your, your Holy Spirit with us and in us and resting upon us is enough. That you've also surrounded us with other brothers and sisters to, to walk through it together with. And so, God, we just we lift up any of our brothers and sisters now in the fire, in the furnace. We lift up Tim and Sheila to you as they're walking through the furnace, the fiery trial of, of cancer and cancer treatment. And God, we pray that you would bring Tim safely through this. We pray for deliverance. We entrust his life to you, God. You're his faithful creator and you're his healer. We thank you that you do provide healing even in this life. But ultimately in the life to come, you promise perfect healing everlasting healing restoration and so god may we see that may we see your hand of deliverance and prepare us to face the day of adversity well In christ's name we pray after you've suffered a little while the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ may he restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen.